0: Hello and welcome to episode 30. I'm joined again by Sham Aziz, second time. As you know, Sham is head of customer service for Selfridges. In this episode, he talks about the lockdown adjustment and how it's helped him drive quicker decisions. Talks about the customer service proposition and then a bit of a change. Talks about the Fortnite, the game and gaming and also diversity and inclusion and chats about Black Lives Matter. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks. So I am joined uh, making his second appearance by Sham Aziz. Sham is head of customer services at Selfridges and um, great guy. Love chatting to him before. And now we we did it face-to-face the first time, didn't we? So Indeed. now we are doing it via uh, Zoom. And just prior to hitting record, there was a phrase you used that I was going to say because this is the the new normal, and you have a, a phrase that you prefer, and I think I do
1: as well, which is? Uh, the next normal. Um, there's a friend of mine, actually, that coined it, so I won't take any credit. It's um, uh, It just allows me to know that there's a next normal coming, and once we reach that one, there'll be another one. So, um, look, you're far too kind with the the great introduction you gave. Um, I'm not sure why you've let me come back a second time but I'm grateful Um, and the fact that we're doing this on Zoom I almost want to say two dinosaurs gone digital Um, so um, (laughs) if you allow me to call you a dinosaur. No by all means. I refer to myself as one (laughs) but um, yeah thank you for having me again.
0: I do not mind being referred to as a as a dinosaur it's fine. Um, So how have you been in this in the in this new no in this next normal
1: then? I don't mind you saying you know by the way I just I just I just refer to it as the next one um so I guess briefly uh most of the people who listen to this type of podcast and the other wonderful episodes you've had so far they'll be very familiar that in our industry and um, the contact center industry not that many people were fur- furloughed um and not that many people were uh were Um, laid off if you like so our industry has continued and the huge shift that i saw uh, both within my own business and just the industry widely is that everybody moved more towards working from home as an industry i think we were probably best prepared for that versus some other departments and other businesses but the contact center industry has been pushing for a work from home solution for a while and so if anything, I think this pandemic um, on, on a business level has helped in particular for me. It's helped drive decisions quicker. Uh, moving to a work from home solution has been easier to do. Um, in particular, from an information security and perhaps a data protection uh, standpoint, previously, that would have been a lot harder to do. So that's not to say that those standards have decreased. However, I've found people within IS and and Data Protection um, to work with us much quicker to get to a point that would mean our employees are protected, but also our customers. And so um, it's been interesting in moving throughout those stages within the pandemic when around me quite a few people sadly had lost their jobs a number of businesses have disappeared overnight and um, who weren't able to transition um, from not having a store presence into a digital presence um, and, and people being furloughed uh, and whilst from the outside that might sound ideal. Uh, for a lot of the people that I was talking to, they struggled with being furloughed and mm-hmm. perhaps being at home, trying to justify their existence, if you like. And mm-hmm. so, Tackling all those things, I mean, I appreciate I've just gobbled a lot of different things there and thrown them at you, but um, if there's anything you'd like me to go deeper on, I can.
0: I think um, it's a really interesting point about people that have been furloughed. Um, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's been furloughed, and he said actually it, it near enough instantaneously introduced fear into his into his world. So. Mm. whereas people would say hey you can enjoy the weather and your family and you're still getting paid and um, once you had gone through this sort of bureaucracy then every week that went by thinking will my business get used to me not being there if they're still functioning then actually I'm really worried should I be doing something um, about this so you make, a, you make a really valid point. I was interested in Something you said there around um, the kind of working from home piece leading to quicker decisions. Is that across multiple areas or was that predominantly the kind of information security? What do you mean?
1: Um, so, I guess um, speaking broadly um, and not just from my own business, but through a number of people within the contact industry, contact center industry working uh, for multiple verticals so not just retail and commerce Um, a lot of people weren't quite used to the idea of working from home um, and some people were doing it perhaps once or twice a week but having a contact center working from home often previously threw up challenges around well how do you keep the data secure Um, and people have this um, view sometimes that there's somebody sitting in their bedroom accessing their customer database and downloading this information and selling it off over the internet somewhere. Um, and look, that's an extreme view, but it, it did exist. And um, I think what happened with this pandemic, with the fear that it introduced for many different reasons, one of the fears I've also seen it introduce into sort of an executive level uh, across the industry is if we don't make quicker decisions as businesses, we're not going to be here in the next three to six months. Mm. So how do we um, not throw out the rule book, but how do we streamline what we're doing so that we can react quickly and provide some level of service, not just to customers, but to our own employees too. And so uh, if anything, I saw a real sort of push and desire for people to, to go faster, um, and cover all of the key requirements and not necessarily say, hey, let's put another meeting in next week and the week after and the week after and, and, and kick it down the road. Um, it was just much, much quicker. Um, and I've seen this, as I say, across the whole industry, not just within my business. And so it, it, it's interesting. Sometimes it could be a lonely world where you're there plugging away, pushing at something, and you're having small successes. And then you talk to a few of your friends and colleagues further afield and you find out that everybody's doing the exact same thing and suddenly you don't feel alone anymore. So um, it was it was good to know that I wasn't the only one going through this. But um, if anything, I guess I was referring to um, the speed, the pandemic, the fear that it's introduced has also come with speed.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because after that initial novelty period of, um like predominantly for me i was working from home a lot anyway but um other than going into london there wasn't that much of a change but once that novelty period dissipated from continual zoom meetings i don't know about you i found our internal zoom meet uh, meetings um whether it's team zoom or whatever but our internal meetings have been more become more productive um I don't know if that is as a result of just something like the the pandemic has kind of crystallised thought and made you go, look, every decision needs to progress us somehow, or whether it's the fact we're all remote and it's the remote nature of the meetings. But I found them, yeah,
1: strange. Or maybe it's just because we weren't that productive in the first place. (laughs) It could be a mix of either or. Um, You've spent enough time with me to know that um, I do like the sound of my own voice and sometimes I digress. And so uh, I was known for digressing in meetings um, and I still do that now over Zoom and Teams and everywhere else. Um, But I have also noticed that there are many more of these meetings and they are driven with a purpose or a much more intense purpose. I do think that having A large number of the workforce furloughed also means there's fewer of us who are having these meetings. And so we're all probably picking up a bit more um, as well right now to to help drive decisions forward. And as people come back off furlough, um, there there are more hands to help with that. And so um, it's probably a combination of all those things. Um, In true style, um, one of the first things I tried to figure out in terms of digital meetings was How to change my background? Um, I've spared you with that today, but um, I often try and play around with different backgrounds and see how far I can go. My favourite one has been the Minecraft one.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. You just got to make sure that your 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 background is appropriate to the meeting you're on. So, if you're kind of going into a HR related, maybe sensitive subject, and you have uh the like a star wars background
1: <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> yeah so uh have a meeting with the exec and put the minions on in the background is probably um not the way to do it or if you like the absolute way to do it i don't know
0: what other kind of adjustments have you guys you personally and um self which has had to had to make as due to the sort of
1: lockdown i guess interesting for us on, on a couple of different points um Working from home, Selfridges started that journey a few years ago. Um, We've branded it the modern workplace um, and we looked at how we could help our workforce be location agnostic. Um, So we have a number of stores around the country. We have four stores. We then have our website and we have two head offices around the country as well. Uh, We have an incredibly large and diverse workforce and so what we were trying to get away from was lots of travel, people spending days traveling up and down the country. um, And we looked at all the digital tools available. We even looked at the laptops that people are carrying, how heavy they are. um, Do they lend well to travel as well? If you do want to travel up and down the country, um, security protocols on those laptops, how to make it easy so that people don't have to be in the office to access information from the office. So, Things like Office 365, Teams, Skype for Business, um, Lighter Laptops. So we started this journey two years ago, um, and I would say when the pandemic hit, everybody was ready. Um, And so a bit of preparation, but a bit of luck also in that regard. Um, On a different point, as a business, uh, we closed our stores before it was mandated by the government. We took a decision early. We did that by listening to our staff and to our customers. Um, we heard what people were saying and, and we did the right thing. We stopped and said, hold on a minute, this doesn't make sense. And so, you know, we closed our stores um, and following guidance from the government and, and public health England, we also reopened our stores in the right way with social distancing um, And since the minute we opened, a number of our customers came flooding back, looking for that next normal. Um, So there's been that interesting balance between making sure as a workforce we were able to work remotely, but then also as a a business with a number of physical stores that we could reopen safely and um, also uh, make sure that our colleagues as well as customers are all comfortable
0: how does um for somewhere like yourself that has this reputation for delivering excellent customer service how does that has this changed the customer service proposition for you guys
1: yeah absolutely um so uh it almost will sound too scientific and operational so um, For those of you who are about to fall asleep, I'm definitely going to put you into a coma right now by by going down on some of the detail. But um, what we did is we looked at how many people we had um, versus um, the technology. So does everybody have a laptop to work from home, as an example, if we extend that into the contact center? Um, And then looking at the number of people that we had. How many hours could we provide that service? So, would it make sense within the pandemic to have a 24-7 hour contact centre? Probably not. And so, what are the right hours to operate um, of the contact centre population? Um, not that they were furloughed, but were there people who were self-isolating? Um, and then, one step further, were there people who were in the shield category? So, mm-hmm. people who had to isolate for at least 12 weeks. Um, of those people, not everybody was also able to or wanted to work from home. Some home environments don't lend to that, and um, some people just can't. Um, the example of a flat or the example of living somewhere with a poor internet connection. So um, we, we had a reduced workforce in, in regards to contact centre, and we had to think how best to do that. So we reduced our opening hours. Um, we we made it more focused. We looked at what we could do within our IVR. Um, so if people were calling in, what information could we provide them so they're not left on hold for many minutes, even hours? In some cases, for example, the travel industry would not be unusual to be on hold for a while. Um, and then we also looked at how could we help provide self serving information to customers. Um, so we produced a hub on our website, a a place that is easily accessible, can be found from any page and has all the top Q and A, top questions, top answers, um, that we updated daily as, and when something trended as a question, we put it on there immediately. Um, and we were able to track via, um, software that people were accessing and using that page. And so Um, combined with our content colleagues and uh, focusing our operating hours, we were able to adapt the proposition to still provide a service, although arguably not a BAU business as usual service.
0: And then for you um, personally, how do you kind of keep people or keep your teams focused on the customer? Because there must have been a period where Predominantly, the focus is on them, themselves, and their well being. And then you gently kind of introduce the right, come on, let's think about customers again.
1: Yeah, so I think um, outside of a sort of a commerce world, um, at, at a humanity level, this pandemic came along and kicked everybody's ass um, the world over, mm. uh, not just the business world, but you know, on a human level. And so, For me, it's it's going to sound cliche, but it it has to be said. I think the well-being um, sort of factor has always been there and it's been there for many years. And I guess over the last few years, we all probably would have seen the rise of well-being within our workplaces, having quiet places to go to, um, making sure you move away from your desk, have a breakout area, an employee assistance program, um, other benefits around cycling to work doing yoga on a thursday laid on by the company etc so so well-being's always been on the agenda this pandemic i guess just drove everybody back to those core values and beliefs to say people are still at the core of this business and in the world of contact center it's your staff that deal with your customers so arguably your staff have to be happier than your customers so that it exudes through the phone and through email and live chat and social and all those other channels. So um, for us, well-being was never off the agenda. If anything, it became more intense during this pandemic to make sure that people were still being looked after, felt looked after, um, and were kept safe. So making sure social distancing was followed, making sure that people had access to Um, hand gel it seems like a small thing and I know the jury is out on on some of these points but uh, with regards to people who have more knowledge than I do in the scientific community you know hand gel is on the list and so that became incredibly difficult to get a hold of for a number of weeks at the start of the pandemic Um, and in some cases in the hundreds and thousands of pounds online to get your hands on those as a business that didn't stop us we made sure we provided Everything we could provide to our staff, mm. and um, that's why we were very careful in ensuring that well being was more intense and not just as a result of the pandemic. People who did not want to go on furlough or were not self isolating, um, who wanted to hold on to any level of normal that they could hold on to, um, there, there wasn't any requirement for us to do anything, i.e., Uh, try and drive or motivate those they wanted to keep as much of a normal life as they could for their own well-being and so it was treating everybody as individually as you can when you have a large workforce to make sure that everybody feels supported throughout various different options and you know it won't surprise you to know that for some people it was give me my headset give me my laptop I'm going home and taking calls today And so, you know, for some people that happened, for others, it didn't. And it was just Mm. giving people that time. And um, in the grand scheme, whilst we were trying to figure that out, I felt that customers, their level of patience went up. So it's not as though in a previous world where if a customer sends you an email and then they chase you for that response, that didn't happen um, during the pandemic. Uh, People were more understanding that it took a little bit longer to come back to them. And that allowed us the breathing space to make sure employees were happy.
0: And what about yourself, Sham? In terms of your working day, has there been any changes there? And and what have you done to kind of keep yourself, um, keep your well-being in, in a good place?
1: Um, I'd love to tell you that um, I wake up every morning and do a number of press ups <laughs> and um, squats, um, but you know I haven't managed that. Um, I have invested in. Uh, and a lot of new t-shirts for the Zoom and team (laughs) meetings. Um, Mostly they are black with prints of superheroes. Um, That's my kind of thing. Um, But I guess what we did do at home is I did upgrade my router, very exciting stuff. Um, And that was to get a stronger internet connection. My wife and I both work from home. And so we have um, that to contend with. Um, I've been relegated to my son's bedroom and she gets to the living room but um, we both have a workspace uh, my son who is seven is incredibly self-sufficient and so therefore he's unlikely to burst in um, and jump in front of the camera but even if he did I think that's okay and yeah fully acceptable in these times it's it's gone are the days on BBC when somebody yeah. would dive into the picture and people would be embarrassed about that I think this next normal for me has been that people are more understanding. And so all I've tried to do as perhaps somebody in a, uh, in a privileged senior position is make sure that my team um, are taken care of, that they have what they need and um, that they all remember to take some downtime. This is key. I live in a coldest set day at lunchtime. I turn everything off and I go and walk around the coldest set half an hour. Um, I wave at my neighbours um, and uh, those that want to talk will talk from distance and those that are not comfortable doing that, that's fine too. So we'll wave from afar and we'll take that half an hour walk every day as a family of three. Um, and, and I think that's probably been the biggest thing that ultimately switching off for half an hour without being on a meeting, without having my work phone with me um, and having a business that supports that as well has made it, has made it easier to transition
0: yeah i love it i mean notwithstanding of course everyone knows how tragic this has been but i think there's been something about seeing into people's lives and as you say no one bats an eyelid in fact everyone smiles if a pet or one of the children come in we, i was on a call uh, this morning and the chief customer officer had to move his cat off the off the table and something as something as simple as that, just you look round the other views, the gallery view, and everyone's smiling. And um, yeah. the introduction of people, personality into into our business worlds more so than when we were office based, I think can only be a only be a good thing. It's kind of personalised everyone
1: a bit more, hasn't it? Definitely, it's definitely pushed along. I think the blurring of that professional persona versus the home persona, well, actually, they're now the same thing. And so um, let's not pretend we don't have families and friends yeah. and, and pets and home lives because um, they are there. And um, if we could find a way to blend everything and still drive business and keep customers and staff happy, then, you know, no harm, no foul. So you mentioned... Um... So,
0: So you mentioned customers uh, being a bit more patient. Have you seen any other um, changes with your customers at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, For those that are interested in the contact center side of things, I saw a massive shift in contact channels. And so for as long as I can remember, phone has always been king. Um, On average, 60% of customers were calling um, for many, many many, many years, and what I saw as soon as the pandemic kicked in is the phone dropped off a cliff, and emails and social just suddenly started to rise um, at one point seventy five percent of my contact volume was email um, and that 's just you know never ever happened in the last 17, 18, 19 years of my career. Um, and so, for those of you that know, emails take longer to deal with and often can result in a number of emails going backwards and forwards, whereas in one phone call, you can usually resolve something. So, um, this was a tweak in how we had to deal with work. And so, having a reduced headcount with a a higher effort required to deal with email meant that we were slower in responding.
0: Nice.
1: Um, so it was helpful to have customer patience, even though in some ways customers changing channel caused some of the delays. Um, and, and so it was looking at okay, well, can we automate some emails, do our CRM systems, um, support? those things um, are there some emails that we just don't have to reply to um, a good example of that would be password reset email uh, most customers will write in to say oh how do I reset my password um, that's fully automated within our business they'll get a response back with a link on how to reset their password um, and so that's an instant thing that an advisor is not having to deal with so what are the other sort of low value, high volume things that you can automate and get done. Um, and a quick shout out to the, the sales and the business development community that is listening to this podcast. Please don't contact me and try and sell me one of those solutions. Um, I already <laughs> have it covered. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was looking at, you know, system changes to deal with this change in customer behavior in particularly the contact channels that they are now using.
0: That's fascinating. You, when we were talking about um, things we might talk about today, there's something you said that really intrigued me, and that was that you wanted to talk about Fortnite.
1: Yes, um, I love Fortnite. For those of you who who don't know, it's a game. Um, It's an online game, and I'll find a weird way to relate it back to Contact Center, I'm sure. Um, But the reason I brought it up was um, there's a concept within Fortnite around. how you can do small improvements and be recognized for those. So, for example, the first time you harvest some material, which might sound really alien to a lot of people on this, um, you you get a badge, and the badge tells you, well done, you've harvested something. As you start to harvest more things, you'll then get a badge to say you've reached a new level in harvesting. And so this is the link back to Contact Centre now, gamification. Gamification. How do you gamify something that is repetitive um, and, and the motivational aspect of that? And again, um, I have gamification covered, so no sales, please. Um, in, in, in regards to how that sort of links across, I think we could probably take a page from games like Fortnite and think about how they could also lend to. We're gathered here today to join Mike and Jill in holy matrimony. motivate them during what is a incredibly repetitive job. Um, look, we're never going to replace the satisfaction that an advisor gets when a customer has something resolved and gives them direct feedback and says, you're amazing, you've solved my problem, thank you. Um, however, if we can keep people motivated throughout, I think the the, the gaming world has, has a lot within it that we could borrow from. And I guess the other reason I mentioned Fortnite to you is that at the start of the pandemic the rise of posts on LinkedIn around learning a fifth language and learning you know breaking a a personal best on the deadlift and um, becoming a master chef overnight um I looked at a lot of these posts and thought no chance what can I do during this pandemic and um my seven-year-old son came to me and said dad why don't you play Fortnite with me and I thought yeah let's let's go do that and so um that's that's kind of what Fortnite did for me it's a new skill and i'm going to call it a skill um but it also helped me with downtime during the pandemic so uh, are, you,
0: are you any good that's the question
1: I, i'm amazing if really? i say so myself uh, so uh, for anybody out there playing Fortnite, if you want to add me my tag is shamlam um and so uh yeah add me in and, and let's play together but um I guess I just wanted to flag to people: you don't have to learn another language and become a master chef, or even play Fortnite. There is no expectation for you to become amazing at something during the pandemic. If you've gotten through the pandemic and you're here today, high five to you! Well done. It's it's enough. It's okay.
0: I love a bit. I love Fortnite. I am not very good, though. Much to my uh, one of my daughters' disgust, I've managed to. <laughs> I managed to finish, I think, it was fourth or fifth. And believe it or not, I didn't kill anyone. I just hid. I ran and hid. I don't know how to build, which is your point around kind of harvesting to build things. And she spent the entire time watching me play, getting more and more (laughs) irate, saying, you can't just hide in a house. Um, And I did. And I I finished it. definitely top top 10 it was definitely, um, yeah. without, a ta- I was like a pacifist coward version on, uh, <laughs> on Fortnite, just running away from everyone.
1: <laughs> hey look, everybody's welcome, so um, if you have time, there's a video on YouTube where uh, somebody managed to not kill anybody um, and spent the whole round sitting um at the top of the building and 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 won the match um, so if a tab- as- watch, that's what I was aspiring to <laughs> <laughs> it's possible um, and there's nothing wrong with being a pacifist
0: i think as well the other thing you mentioned there that is a real take has been a real takeaway for me is i think most people will come through this to this next normal with maybe clarity around the priorities but priorities matched with behavior because I think everyone can recite what their priorities for work are and why they work and it's family it's friends and for the moment those things are either taken away from you or you are in an enforced situation where maybe downtime is different work life Mm -hmm. working is different and actually finding joy in In simple things and simple things often just being time with your time with your children time with your your loved ones and it's um, we're doing this thing uh, um, at work at the moment where we're asking people to reflect and try Mm. and summarize what the what the lockdown period's been like and equally for some it's been a real real challenge and there's not been anything positive that they can kind of hold on to um, sure. And I think it's important to recognize that as well. But for the majority, it has been just simple, simple pleasures that people are kind of coming back to us with about a walk with the family every day. To your point, you know, if, if it's a mm. lunchtime walk or, or an evening walk, or they've fixed bikes so they can go cycling again and they've, they've, they've gone for a run and um, got a better understanding of who their neighbors are and talked to yes. their neighbors for the first time. It's been, uh, whilst tragic, uh, it's been fascinating to see and actually very uplifting in a lot of times, I think.
1: Yeah, I relate to everything you just said. Um, I, I couldn't really even add to that. I think from a from tragedy perspective, uh, we're never going to be able to really get our heads around what's happened. Mm. But as humans, I guess what we do very well is adapt mm. um, and if we can help each other adapt then then let's do that and um, and for those that want to still brag about learning their fifth new language during lockdown in in five days uh, more power to you
0: too. <laughs> yeah exactly something else that I know is important to you and also very topical at the moment is around sort of diversity and in- inclusion how is
1: that how does that sort of
0: manifest itself why is that something that's
1: important to you so i guess it's twofold um, i'll start by briefly talking about my own story um, without making it about me but to just provide a, a background context and then bring it right up to date with what i'd actually like to say um, so i would describe myself as a british pakistani muslim Um, If I dig down further into that, over on my father's side of the family, both grandparents Pakistani born and raised. Over on my mum's side of the family, one grandparent Pakistani born and raised and one grandparent white English. And so from a very young age, my nan Um, who left her family behind at the age of 18 to be with my granddad. who was also only a couple of years older. Um, He was working here in the UK um, under the original British Empire um, shipping company in import and export. And they met at a very young age. And in order to be together, uh, both communities... Um, Shunned them to the point where early on both of them were ostracized and left to get on with their lives themselves early on and so from a young age my mum's always um, had that in her heart around um, race being a barrier and always being an issue and growing up myself in the 80s uh, in London I'd often receive racial abuse throughout school. And I found ways to cope um, and and get through, and often comedy being my my choice to the point where it stuck with me throughout my life and and I continue to uh, be a clown wherever I am. Um, That that was a coping mechanism for me and I guess my background story. Also being a Muslim um, over a number of years, it's been very difficult watching and seeing within the press the prejudice against um, the religion as a whole on the basis of the actions of a select few morons or Mm. muffets, as I would Mm. refer to them. Um, And so in one way, shape or another, diversity and inclusion um, and feeling included has been a challenge my entire life. Um, If I now bring it back, fast forward to the future watching the Black Lives Matter movement and seeing what happened, in particular with George Floyd, um, I, I struggled. I struggled to watch the video. And um, there was there was a, a narrative online around being silent is being complicit. And initially, that was quite scary. It was scary to read something like that and think that my silence is is me being complicit. I'm absolutely not complicit. Um, but I don't know how to, to help. How can I help in a movement that I'm not strictly a part of, but I want to support? And so I did what I always do. I researched and um, I somehow narrowed it down to two or three things that I could do to contribute to the Black Lives Matter movement and, and help. And so I thought it'd be good in the, in, in the sense of how not to be silent by, by sharing them with you here and with the listeners. But so number one, first thing I did was educate myself. I, I went online, I watched videos, I went on LinkedIn, I read articles, interviews. Um, I just tried to gather as much information as I possibly could to understand this movement and to understand uh, what people are going through at a deeper level, not just at a surface level. Um, Number two, I think, um, and I struggled with this and and, and how I articulate it, if it doesn't come across right, I apologise in advance, but acknowledging Black Lives Matter doesn't take away from your own story, and it doesn't take away from any other movement. And I think that's important. I think it's important to understand that if you are talking about, about Black Lives Matter, that doesn't mean that you can't talk about something else, but they all have their, their time. And so let's give it the respect that it's due. And if we're talking about Lives Matter, let's talk about Lives Matter. Um, and the, there's also a time and a place for me to talk about my own story at that time. And so that was number two for me. Number three for me was me coming along and trying to tell my story and trying to take my learnings still probably wouldn't help the cause so what i decided to do was identify people within the lives matter community um, and put my support behind them so by supporting others who have direct experience of institutional racism direct experience of their family members being stopped in search and other things that have happened. Um, How can I put my support behind them? And then how, number four, via the world of social media, how can I amplify their voice? And so really easily like their posts, share their posts, um, use social reach to help amplify somebody else's voice. Um, And for me, those four or five things together was me not being complicit and me not being silent. Um, in in all actual truth, right at the beginning, I thought I had to do something much bigger. I thought I had to put a video out and, and, and do a whole thing around Black Lives Matter. And that was scary because part of me just couldn't figure out what I was gonna say and how I was gonna say it. But eventually, through educating myself, And doing those four things, I I think I am now supporting the Black Lives Matter movement in the right way for me. And I I wanted to share that here to say to people, you don't have to do big grand gestures. Even if today you read one article and you go and like one post or you go and share one post from somebody, that's you not being silent. Um, The opposite of not being silent doesn't mean you have to shout out loud. You could just like somebody's post and help extend their reach, and and that will be you showing support. Um, and, I, and I hope that uh, for those people who are directly involved in Black Lives Matter, um, if you're hearing this, I hope I've said all the right things. And uh, if you want to further, further educate me, I'd like to learn.
0: Thanks very much for sharing that. I think that's very that's very powerful. It's um, quite it personally touching as well. In the same way. As you, I'd like to have always thought of myself as kind of enlightened citizen of the world. I can, I have the privilege of being able to be educated about racism rather than having ever really experienced it. And I think that's that's a distinction that some people seem to seem to forget. Um, hmm. I, I spent two and a half years living and working in Istanbul. You know, in a in a Muslim in a Muslim country where. Despite my beard, I stuck out, you know. And um, yeah. at no point was I ever made to feel that my difference was anything to, anything negative. Hmm. If anything, what I found was when I came back to the UK and, taught, and it ever came up that I lived in a Muslim country, the things people said astounded me because um, they were not positive and they were sure. very kind of easy easy throwaway stereotypical, um, you know, quick thinking, uh, statements, but the, the Black Lives Matter protest, like I say, has challenged me to, to your point, which is really resonated. I've always thought of myself as a supporter of diversity and inclusivity, race, gender, ethnicity, whatever it may be, Has never made any difference. And I'm sure a lot of people say that, but actually, what it's helped me in the same way as you doing research is the concept of being an ally yeah. and an ally isn't and shouldn't be silent. You can't be an ally of a, of a movement. We, people seem to think that they can do nothing. I know I can, I, I, I hold a senior leadership position within a company and we do, we're a great company to work for. We're very inclusive, but our senior leadership team does not reflect the diversity of the rest of our company let alone the community with which we find ourselves in and we need to do something about that and actually it's been these protests and we have various forums with all of our all levels within our company Mm. and it was raised to us because of the Black Lives Matter um, protests what are we doing what is the company doing what is the company's view and we have a two offices in the States and very, very quickly our president and CEO, a married couple, um, released a statement internally and actually it, it was very emotional. Um because of how they how they verbalised their support for our New York office, which is predominantly black. And it was very humbling. Sorry.
1: I don't no. apologise. These these things are difficult, but uh, we have to hear them we have to share them. Um, I appreciate you sharing this. We um,
0: thanks. Sorry, it was um, it was just this kind of reminder that the people we work alongside have suffered to an extent that we theoretically have been aware of but emotionally been totally oblivious to Um, and actually we can do something about it so that you know it's really galvanized me and the rest of our team to do more that to your point earlier that silence silent support isn't enough Um, but you're right it doesn't need to be huge gestures Um, for us we are Uh, have chosen the Stephen Lawrence foundation as a kind of our charity of choice for a company, but we're, we're doing more from a process point of view to help represent at at all levels within the company, the makeup of our society far more than we, than we do. And to, to, whilst it's uncomfortable at times to actively hear from our team members who have been the victims of um, racism to educate because i think it all starts with um education and the kind of black lives matter movement um has certainly engendered conversation you know and some of that is uncomfortable and whereas maybe the diplomatic thing to do is to silently let friends and family members comment on it actually what i found Because I would always choose a diplomatic path. I don't want to be with a, a family member. Because I think you know it's a it's a to talk to your point about comedy. Everyone's got a racist uncle, or you know, and you would just roll your eyes when they started talking about something. Actually, the thing that I've tried to do recently, not always with success, but is to engage in conversation with people that are taking an alternative view and just ask them to educate themselves as well Um, because again it's something that you you maybe shy away from you're taught you're kind of told not these aren't things you should talk about Um, but it does take it's taken something like this for us to be having having this conversation
1: yeah it's um, it's difficult and Sometimes the fear of saying the wrong thing means you say nothing at all. Um, And I think there's probably more tolerance for saying the wrong thing and being picked up on it and allowing yourself to be corrected and learn from that experience. Um, I think that's how we're going to progress. Um, An incredible colleague of mine recently said, it's okay for a few people to be uncomfortable whilst we figure this out. So that all of us can become more comfortable, mm. um, and, I, and I can't really word that any better or That's add great. to it. I, I think it's an incredible quote. Um, mm. It's one that is making the rounds on our internal company Yammer, um, and um, it's, it's it's things like that that means there's probably a tolerance right now. So not to be afraid of saying something incorrectly because somebody will pick you up on it quickly. Um, and if you're willing to learn from that and, and grow, then, then we'll get there faster.
0: And I think that's a really interesting point because I know, and maybe this is people of a certain generation, that I can only base this on the people that I've spoken to are in an older generation, who language has changed and terminology has changed and there is a general inquisitiveness on their part to be able to say the right thing. Hmm. Um, And whether it's abbreviations or terminology, people are being left behind, and they are actually potential allies because they they want they don't want to offend. That's what it's born out of.
1: I agree with you entirely. I I uh, try and word this correctly, and and hopefully it comes out as I'm thinking it in my mind. Um, It's incredibly difficult to preach tolerance if you don't do it in a tolerant way. Mm. And so for those of us who feel incredibly passionate about something, we have to allow those around us to figure this out. And if they make a mistake and they say something incorrect, um, which previously was a normal thing to say, or maybe not a normal thing to say, but people were able to say things previously that they can't say today, let's help those people cross the road and, and, and make that journey into knowing now that certain language isn't okay, certain abbreviations no longer okay. If they make that mistake, let, let's help them not demonize them and, and, and make it much harder. Um, tolerance goes both ways. If I'm If I'm passionate about something and I want you to join me on my journey and I want you to be as passionate about it as I am, I need to show you tolerance too, otherwise you're unlikely to come to me and work with me. So if we're going to preach tolerance, let's do it in a tolerant way.
0: And I think that's a real, another great point, because that is a challenge at times, because when someone holds a view that you find abhorrent and um, just you find yourself thinking, how can you even think that? It's very difficult to engage in conversation. With that person about that topic, it's how, how that's still a skill I'm learning.
1: <laughs> oh, me too. Um, I don't pretend to have all the answers, by the way, even if I make it sound like I do. Um, I agree with you entirely. I I try and look at it as a journey, um, and uh, this might all sound like nonsense, by the way, but in my view, everybody's on a journey. And we are all at different stages of that journey. Um, and I think that if I can help you in your journey, you're more likely to come on a similar journey to me if I make it easier for you. Um, and maybe I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing, I don't know. But I'm I'm trying to attract you to my journey by making it easy. Um, if you raise something to me and I jump down your neck immediately, you're probably going to stay away from me and then your journey is not going to catch up to mine. And so Mm -hmm. I I try to have more tolerance and just think that everybody's on a different journey and perhaps I'm further ahead and in some cases much further behind, by the way, um, then I just have to give people the benefit of the doubt and assume that we're all on our journeys and we'll all get there. And um, unless somebody does something illegal, um, then if they've got the wrong view, I'll try and work to educate them first.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I've always thought within contact centres, one of the areas that I've, from, de- from day dot, always been very proud of to say that I work in a contact centre is that, I've, well, I don't know what your view would be actually, that I've nev- I've always thought them to be the most welcoming, open, um blind if you like because it doesn't matter what someone is where they're from what they look like um contact centers have been this wonderful melting pot of what our society this multicultural diverse inclusive industry that's we all know it if we're in it um and it's it's strange that sometimes that if we're drawn from the societies and the towns, that that isn't always prevalent in those towns. Has this been your experience, just in your kind of experience within contact centres?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've worked in many over the years, and I've worked with many over the years, so whether that's through partnerships and and third-party outsourcing. Um, The wonderful thing about contact centre industry Um, and maybe even now the fashion industry that I'm part of as well is the diversity Um, absolutely melting pot Um, and much more representative of local towns that they are based within. Um, And so spent a number of years working for many, many contact centers that represented the town that I was in at the time. And that, Might not always be the case in in a perhaps more corporate office environment, Um, but within contact center, I I relate to what you've described and um, look. I still think there's more we could do um, Mm. at senior level, but I absolutely think that um, we're probably a few steps ahead with regards to diversity in the contact center industry.
0: Well, there's you know, I'm, I'm right now. I'm talking to. A role model and um I think that's kind of the more the more we can celebrate role models like yourself sham um the better for for everyone um I didn't realize me. you had jokes <laughs> yeah that's a phrase I've heard my son use to me as well just he will randomly comment jokes <laughs> and um I I take that as a badge of a badge of honor it doesn't happen very often embarrassing dad and all that but um as we sort of come up to the hour and the close, is there anything you'd like to kind of, um, how would you like to kind of draw this appearance? Because I, I I know there's going to be more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's very kind of you um, for what you said about me being a role model. Um, I think if anybody calls you a role model, then it's your job to continue to try and be a role model. I don't think I'll ever get there, but I'll continue to strive for it and I will use my voice, and gratefully a platform like yours to spread it as far as I can to help everyone um, where possible. To draw it to a close, I'll just say thanks for having me again. I look forward to coming back. Um, I'd love to see a bit of a, an Avengers Marvel team up and perhaps have four or five of us on yeah. um, to, to have a bit of a chat. Um, and so those people who inevitably will comment in your posts um, you know, put your names forward and um, let's do
0: this. Yeah. Avengers Assemble. Shamazi. Shamazee, thank you again so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Martin. Take care. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that and look out for next week's episode. Yay! At Sandy Spring Bank, we care about people, not transactions. So we concentrate on creating personalized solutions to start or grow a business that provides for your family. To purchase a home that will house the memories you make there. To save, so you can enjoy today and then pass on your legacy to future generations. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk. Visit sandyspringbank.com real. Mortgage home equity and other credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank.
1: I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal.